Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Hulu's Prospect, a 2018 science fiction feature starring Pedro Pascal of The Mandalorian in uh, in, in a really, really, really cool character role. No, nobody saw this movie. It made like $40,000 at the U.S. box office. And it's actually kind of good. So we're going to talk about Prospect. And we're also going to look at Hulu's Greener Grass, which is a suburban satire from 2019, an indie comedy also available on Hulu, um, that is also particularly unique. We took last week off, so I'm excited to jump back into it this week. Uh, Andy, first things first, how you been? Been a couple weeks since we've been on the show. What's up? Been good. Uh, Watching a lot. Um, Let's see. I I watched The Evil Dead 1 and 2 for the first time ever. That's pretty... Honestly, I wish we had kind of planned the show around that because I would like... Dude, I'm always going to (laughs) talk about The Evil Dead. Immediate thoughts before we jump into news? Um, I actually... I I really dug the first one. Um, I didn't like the second one as much. It's a different kind of movie. I I keep saying it's the difference between Alien and Aliens. Right. Um, You know, one's a horror movie. The other one's more of an action thing. And this is similar in that vein where the original Evil Dead is trying to be a serious horror movie Mm -hmm. and Evil Dead 2 is kind of a slapstick dark comedy parody of, of, of Evil Dead 1. Yeah, I I think we've already talked about it, um, but Evil Dead 3, which is Army of Darkness, continues in that exact same vein. Like, if Evil Dead 2 cranks up the comedy and turns down the horror, Evil Dead 3 is just all the way over into comedy. (laughs) Very little horror at all. It's like a a Three Stooges movie. It's nuts. Um, But, man, I love Evil Dead. I was also, well, I was also really kind of surprised. Just kind of, it's really, really gory. Like there were parts in there. I was like, oh my God. Like I can, can imagine like seeing this in 81. It was probably really effective. Yeah. And like I, uh, the production is so fascinating behind those movies. Like Raimi made the first one on no budget and it took them like four years to make it. Um, just going out like, you know, Christmas break on holiday or whatever. And they changed actors multiple times throughout the film, which is why like, the, the zombie makeup is so heavy later because it's like completely different actors from the first act of the film. Like just all dude, the craziest production schedule ever on evil dead. It's, it's fascinating stuff, but uh, we should jump into news. I don't think I've before we jump to me. I don't think I've watched anything particularly engrossing. Um, I don't know. It's, it's nice taking a break from movies a little bit, you know, when you do a movie podcast. So uh, watch some series. That's what I was doing, but uh. let's jump into the news. The first thing COVID-19, <laughs> brutalizes AMC theaters (laughs) quarterly earnings and losses top $900 million. I shouldn't laugh at the story, but as you pointed out before the show started, the headline is so scathing. Um, We've been talking about this for weeks for anybody that's not listening to the show. AMC is not doing great, Andy. Yeah. AMC continues to be in trouble. Uh, They had their earnings call and showed uh, they had lost upwards of $900 million, million nearly a billion dollars in losses uh, for the quarter. Uh, Shares were down eight cents uh, per share, which is a ton. Uh, So their stock completely plummeted. They they have raised some money. They they renegotiated renegotiated some of their leases and things and they're trying to stay afloat uh they they, they're gonna be okay for a few more months but things really have to pick up and if they don't i could see them um i could someone's gonna buy them like if if they hit bankruptcy someone maybe it's netflix or amazon someone will probably buy them i think oh who's buying who's buying amc i bet i bet amazon i bet i bet jeff bezos would get in on that action he already bought whole foods right what if he just snapped up the whole thing? Like, all right, now we own the biggest movie theater chain in the world. That'd be horrifying. 
um, but probably a reality. Yeah, they're not doing great. And, and you know, understandably so. Uh, almost all of their locations have been closed almost all year. They're down to a tenth, one tenth of their revenue that they were at last year. A tenth. My God. Um, it's nuts, man. Even even when you got employees who are laid off, people who aren't aren't working, even when you're 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 cutting costs to as low as they possibly can, you don't have the light, you don't even have the lights on in these places. You still just can't afford to pay rent and just keep it alive, right? And keep up your infrastructure costs. Um, bummer. <laughs> I wish yeah, I, I mean it's I, been. I mean it's been. This has been a long, slow story. This is not like a breaking development or anything. Like, yeah, of course they're losing money. They're not open, right? Right. Well, well, I mean, some theaters are, but there's there's nothing to go see. That's the, that's the big problem. And it, and it it's say even if there were, it would not be safe to really go in in big huge crowds. Uh, so it's this has been going on for all the all the theaters, and we know that Regal has closed all their theaters for the moment. Um, they're they're not operating them at all. Whereas AMC and Cinemark have chosen to stay open. Uh, so we'll kind of see where that goes. You know, I saw um, today they started announcing they were going to be doing like those private private theater rentals again you could rent a theater for like a hundred bucks and run whatever you want in it i mean good start but i would argue you still have to have staff running that theater and you still have to have management organizing private rental screenings like so i don't know if that really cuts off your overhead it might be better to just run retro screenings but who knows it seems to have worked for other theaters um one thing's for sure amc's in trouble <laughs> And all, all the other ones are too, I guess. Uh, I mean, well, in Texas, uh, Alamo Draft House isn't even open. It sucks. Yeah. Um, not only are they in trouble, they don't only have like maybe three months of cash left. And we don't see any big movies coming out in the next three months. No. You know, the the next big one for this year is, is maybe, maybe if it doesn't get moved, is Wonder Woman 1984, which is Christmas Day. And there's a really pretty big chance... Uh, that that's probably gonna gonna move, and even then, that's one movie. You need like week after week of new films, and you know, four months, three four months puts us in, you know, February, March. Like, what is gonna come out at those times that's gonna save cinema? Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, like Warner <laughs> Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four being the only front runner that's gonna be coming out uh, uh, this year uh, on Christmas Day. That's put out by Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers just got tanked by Tenet. Cause that's the, also their movie and they put out tenant and they got, they got blown away, man. That movie didn't make nearly the money it was supposed to. And they moved all their other production stuff around. We're actually gonna talk about a couple of movies here in just a second on another story. Um, but wonder woman and that one stuck there and they haven't touched it yet. And it's like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's worth keeping it there. It might be worth moving, but if they're the only ones on that Christmas day slot, Hey, Christmas day is literally the biggest year at the movies. It's the biggest, biggest day at the movies every year. Christmas Day is the number one most profitable day at every movie theater in America. I know it seems weird. It's true. Um, who knows? I mean, if you're the only big one, right, and you're a family feature, people want to feel warm and cozy, go to their movie theater. Like, may, maybe, maybe you can get a little Christmas cheer in the box office, <laughs> but I, I'm, I don't know. It's a long shot. I mean, that... that is a billion dollar movie or should be a billion dollar movie. And I don't think you're going to make enough on Christmas day or, or even if it's open for a few weeks, you know, we have had some good news about the COVID vaccine, which will uh, hopefully be available soon, but that it's going to take months to get um, national distribution and for people to just feel comfortable and, and feel safe. Yeah. Man. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's tough. 
Well, speaking of movies that have been delayed, we should talk about our next story. Free Guy and Death on the Nile are sailing out of 2020 amid ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Kudos to Hollywood Reporter for these for these skewering headlines. This one's solid as well. Yeah, so Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds picture, is getting delayed. And also, Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile is also getting delayed. Both films are 20th Century Fox, which means both are owned by Disney. Disney owns both of these movies. So Disney is moving their movies around. Not a big surprise. Um... But you know, a bit of a bummer. I think people were really hoping this was gonna 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 kind of happen, and 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 now it's not, right? Yeah, these were supposed to be two not huge, but real real new content releases in December. I think December twelfth um, for both both of these, and and they're not kind of gonna come out now. This, this again, you kind of have to build up. Like you don't you maybe you could release a big film but maybe you need to release some smaller films to build up to a bit like you know there's a lot of ways you could kind of bring cinema back but it's uh it's just not happening right now like i said they've pushed them into next week yeah i'm sorry in next year it's weird because every time we've reported on delays like this there's usually more than two titles to say hey this is getting delayed i mean before we've said okay okay i'm i'm struggling to think of any examples right now, but you know, this movie's getting delayed and also this, 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 and this, or Disney's moving seven of their features around, right? This time it's only two. And I'd love to say there's more going on, but there kind of isn't because this is all that's left to move. The only other things we have coming out this year are Freaky, which comes out next month, the Bloomhouse Horror Picture starring Vince Vaughn. We got The Crude's New Age, or Crude's The New Age, excuse me, an animated feature from DreamWorks uh, and Universal, which is coming out on Thanksgiving Day, which is like, was that the third or fourth Crude's film, like in the franchise? Yeah, so that's not even like, like a primary feature. That's like a sequel of a sequel. And Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day. That's it. Those are like the only films worth mentioning that are coming out in 2020. It is nuts. It is it is nuts, man. Like, oh my God, I can't get over how crazy it is. This, this is 2020 at the movies. Um, and, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm bummed, but at the same time, like I said before the show, dude, free guys should have gone to streaming months ago. <laughs> that is a, that is a streaming picture for a streaming world. It's about, it's about online video games for God's sake, starring Ryan Reynolds, internet star. Like, what are we doing? What, why are we waiting for this to come to theaters? Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the, um, that doesn't look like a great film. It look it looks fun to me, honestly. But yeah, it's definitely streaming material. Uh, Death on the Nile definitely l- looks more uh, like the theatrical experience would be fun. Yeah, and that's a that's a, that's kind of a star studded cast picture, right? Did you see uh, Murder on the Orient Express? The, the... I, I did not. I didn't see it either, and I kind of wanted to. <laughs> I feel like maybe I should have. It might be good, but I didn't really hear anything about it. So maybe we should check that out before Death on the Nile. But man, uh, bummer at the movies. Speaking of bummers, uh, two other stories before we get to Prospect. Uh, Matthew McConaughey wanted to play the Hulk, but Marvel passed. Uh, This came out of a podcast interview Matthew McConaughey did last week where he said uh, he literally tried to be the Hulk when they were, when they were looking, when, when Marvel was looking for, to cast the Hulk, he doesn't specify when he doesn't say if this was Ang Lee's Hulk or that Hulk movie Edward Norton was in, or if this is like the proper Mark Ruffalo Hulk we have now, he doesn't say when exactly he wanted to play the Hulk, but at some point before the McConaissance, Matthew McConaughey wanted some of that Marvel action. He wanted to play the Hulk. They said, no, he has passed on like every Marvel role since fascinating to me. What do you know about this, Andy? I mean, the the title mostly says it. Uh, I just know that he was really interested and 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 wanted it, <laughs> as, as it says in the interview. Um, 
would be interesting. He, he, I almost feel like the, the Hulk isn't a main enough character for a star like McConaughey. Like he would need to, you know, you, you think of someone like Iron Man or, or Dr. Strange, like he would need a much more leading role. And, and the Hulk in, in the Marvel series so far hasn't been, uh, kind of, he, he's like the B team. He's, he's not like a star of the series. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Apparently the only other thing Marvel's offered McConaughey since, uh, they offered him to play the role of Ego, the living planet in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That went to Kurt Russell, ultimately, who I think did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would have been equally intriguing, him, him playing this, this this kind of very overblown character who is essentially a god against Chris Pratt and the other Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that would have been really fitting. I, I think what stood out to me about this story is McConaughey's not in the Marvel Universe, and it makes you wonder, why not? Because I bet he would totally work. Like, I think there's a character out there that he would fit in great. I'm not sure if the Hulk is that character, but I might, I might take him over Ruffalo, honestly. Real talk? I, I, think, I think I might. Yeah. I think he'd uh, I think he'd be a great villain. Yeah. You know, I, I think yeah. he'd be a good, good bad guy. That's why I think he'd, he'd fit in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. You know, you, you look at other, other, other actors and actresses who have not quite made the Marvel cut. I think the only other one really worth, worth noting that this article points out is John Krasinski was originally uh, slated to play Captain America before Captain before before Chris Evans got it in Cap, for, for Captain America, the first Avenger, right? There's a chance Jim from The Office would have been our guy. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to say he would have been better, but in my head, he might have been better. <laughs> So I don't know. It's it's uh, an interesting look at the what's going on behind the scenes at Marvel. You know what we can't see. Yeah, absolutely. Our last story uh, regarding the Harry Potter franchise, Universal. Johnny Depp is forced to exit the Fantastic Beasts franchise. For those not on the up and up, there are two current Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them films. Uh, Johnny Depp plays the antagonist in these films Grindelwald also the the titular character in the second film The Crimes of Grindelwald Uh, and in a surprise turn (laughs) uh, he's been just he's he's been essentially fired uh, from from Fantastic Beasts 3 after it started filming what is this Mm -hmm. about Andy? So uh, a lot of backstory on this so Johnny Depp and uh, former or ex-wife Amber Heard have been in several legal battles about a domestic abuse both have accused uh the other uh of domestic abuse and most recently what how it relates to this is uh johnny depp was suing the sun uh which is the british tabloid paper uh for calling him a wife beater or a domestic abuser um so he sued them in court for libel uh he and he recently lost because there was evidence that they were not that they were not lying about that they had there was evidence of um of abuse so uh, he lost the case, and upon losing that case, he was asked to step down uh, by Warner Brothers uh, for these big roles. Oh, that's my turn to talk. Yeah, yes. no. It, <laughs> I figured Sorry, that's what's going on. I figured you were going to keep going. Yeah, uh, so uh, here's here's kind of how this comes up in, in the shooting schedule. Uh, they were slated to start shooting... Uh, Fantastic Beast 3 on October 19th. That's when they were going to start, right? That was like, first call... People are coming onto set. We're shooting this thing. Uh, Depp arrives on set. Uh, as far as I know, and this part's a little hush, uh, he has a few shooting days. Uh, and then uh, at the beginning of November, I think just a few days ago, he just makes a statement on Instagram and he says, quote, I wish to let you know that I've been asked to resign by Warner Brothers from my role as Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts. And I've ex- respected and agreed to that request. Um, 
obviously this is in relation to yeah the the, the amber heard stuff um of course there's definitely some heat around uh johnny depp i think there's also some heat around like the harry potter franchise proper but for different reasons involving jk rowling that we can talk about later i guess um it's iffy on what this means right because i've i've heard it said that he didn't shoot anything for this new movie i've heard it said that he shot one scene um and that's it uh, maybe that he shot a few um but ultimately that he is getting paid his contract uh, which is like 10 million dollars so if he ended up shooting one scene i think that would make sense they had him come in on the 19th they said hey we're gonna shoot I don't know, this transitionary scene, something to kind of hand off the role of antagonist from Johnny Depp to somebody else. I don't know what that looks like. Um, And then he's done. Thanks, Johnny. It was a great time. We're going to pay out your whole contract. We'd appreciate it if you didn't come back. (laughs) Um, I guess that's how that goes, which, hey, if he makes his money, that's fantastic. But it's also, you know, I, I think for for a man who is trying to prove his innocence it is definitely not ideal that seems like a diplomatic way to say (laughs) (laughs) i don't know who's the bad guy maybe they both are i i don't know but um right well there was a lot of backlash uh just when he was gonna it was revealed he was gonna be in the original the first movie which came out in 2015 2016 uh somewhere around there and there was a lot of internet backlash against him and jk Rowling or because of him and both JK Rowling and Warner Brothers uh, stuck by they said this is our guy this is who we've chosen to do uh, the film and we're going to keep going and you know they kind of ignored what what was happening in the courts and, and in the press um, but now it's kind of gotten too big to continue uh, continue to, to have him in in the film yeah and I think it's an interesting flip right 2018 comes along um, they're making Fantastic Beasts 2 all this stuff starts coming out about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling, like, vehemently stand with him. He is our guy. We are going to wait until we know more. Like, we are not going to oust him. They release the movie amidst these allegations, which I would argue genuinely hurt their returns. Uh, the Harry Potter fandom is is pretty vehemently liberal, and they do not take kindly... Uh, to wife beating, right? Um, and, and they shouldn't. But what's interesting is now they, they get to shooting three, they get a few days into production and they say, happy trails, thanks. Total flip. And, and I don't know why, but if I if, if I had to wager, I think it's got something to do with J.K. Rowling. I think she picked up some heat. I think Johnny Depp's got a little residual heat. And they thought, hmm, we really need to make some money on this picture. There's a chance it's going to bomb. What if we cut out one of these people? Obviously, we can't get rid of J.K. Rowling. She wrote the freaking books. Um, I think she's also writing the screenplay for three. She definitely wrote the screenplay for two. Um, she's not going anywhere. So how can we reduce the heat around this movie and make people come see it? I know we'll just get rid of the guy who might be sketch. So yeah, I think I, that's my hot take. Well, there's also, this is, this is supposed to be the third film in a five film franchise. So they got a long way, way to go. And if they're going to kind of course correct uh, with their, with one of the major stars, you know, now's the time to do it. Five films. You think, Okay. Before we move into Prospect, because I'm, I'm just about burnt on this story. You think they can make five of these movies? Can... I mean, not I guess the they can. Not the way it's going. They're, <laughs> yeah. The first one first one was a huge success. The second one had a diminishing return. So they, they better really turn around. Have you seen them both? Yes. 
Okay. What, we one, reviewed him on the show. We reviewed him for the show. Oh, we did. You're the right. Well, they're one, so yeah. forgettable. One had some heart. I was like, okay, I want to see where one goes. Two was not great. And and I think that's because J.K. Rowling wrote the screenplay and she's not a screenwriter. It's very different from writing a book. Um, that's where I think that big problem was there. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do for this. I think. What was your hot take? They just swapped Colin Farrell back in? Yeah, I mean, he he was kind of the original Grindelwald, and then it, t- it turned out he was just like, you know, a mask for Johnny Depp's character. Uh-huh. Um, I thought he was actually way better, uh, more convincing as the bad guy than, like, Johnny Depp looks kind of ridiculous as Grindelwald. He just right. is, like, his, covered in makeup. His character design's a little much. The bleached hair, it's just like, nobody looks like that in reality. Like, nobody. But Colin Farrell's like, he just kind of looks normal. He that's, looks that's like a real so guy. Intimidating. Yeah, he yeah. could be a real person. Anyway, that's enough about Fantastic Beasts. Enough about the news. Uh, we need to move on to our first episode. Andy, first ep. Good Lord. <laughs> our first film. Andy, before we jump into Prospect, what were we going to watch? <laughs> we <laughs> what were. Was the plan? We attempted to watch uh, On the Rocks, which is a new C- Sofia Coppola kind of rom com dramedy uh, starring uh, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. Yeah. We really wanted to get in on this. It was going to be a rental, PVOD, something like. Uh, 5, 10, 20 bucks, whatever. Turns out it is only available on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. But you can't, but you can't rent it. You have to sign up for a subscription. Yeah. Now you can do a, a do a, a one month free trial, which is great. But you can't, uh, the problem here though is unless you, you have it attached to like your TV, you have to watch it on your phone, which was Zach's problem. <laughs> is that he would have to watch it on on his phone, and uh, that's pretty brutal. And I would have to do some connecting that I didn't want, want to deal with uh, to you know connect my computer to my TV to like, and it's just this whole. And I have to sign up, so we didn't watch it. Also, because we care about our audience and our our listeners, they would have to do the same thing. We didn't want to put anyone through that. Yeah, so that that's the long and short of it. If you if you're if you're watching the video version on Facebook as we're streaming it, you can see the poster at least. Uh, on the Rocks was this movie uh, directed by Sofia Coppola, an acclaimed director, um, director of The Virgin Suicides uh, and and Melancholia, a bunch of other great movies. Um, she's got this new film out, written directed by her. It stars Rashida Jones and Bill Murray as these disaffected uh, father daughter. Uh, who have come together to find out why him, a bachelor, and her, a businesswoman, are unsuccessful in their love lives. Um, it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of a lot of profound talk. Uh, I was like, oh, this is bold cinema. It's good as it gets. Look at it. It's character drama. Great. It's only on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> and, and you have to subscribe to have it. And you have to watch it on an Apple device. And all I have is an iPhone. So I can pay $7 to watch On the Rocks on my phone. And that's it. And that's so lame because, like, I want to watch it and I, I want to tell people about it and encourage them to watch it. But not only do I not have a good means to, to, to see this film, there's no way the people who listen to the show are going to go out and subscribe for this movie. I looked at the Apple TV Plus library. You did, too. There is nothing on there worth actually subscribing for, in my humble opinion. Maybe Ted Lasso because I like Jason Sudeikis. But otherwise, that's it. This is it. This is the one thing. This is the one draw. What a waste, in my humble opinion. Like, this this movie should have gone to, like, Amazon Prime or or premium VOD. I would pay $19.99 to watch this film. Um, but whatever. I, you know, that's hey, I that's guess. the frustrating part, is that we yeah. were willing to pay a, a fee to watch a new film, and we couldn't. I was willing to pay $20 to watch this singularly once on a television. But you're telling me to pay $7 and watch it on my phone. Like, no, I won't do it. <laughs> I don't care about the discount. There's other things to watch. Um, 
really a bummer. Um, but but I do want to watch this movie. I'm going to keep my thumb on it. And, and, you know, hopefully at some point down the line, it will become available somewhere else. Um, I guess it won't. This is how streaming licensing deals work. It'll just be on Apple TV Plus. But, um, you know, at, at some point I would like to see it. I, I think it probably is pretty good. Hopefully. Yeah. But what did we watch? <laughs> what, what did we panic watch? <laughs> okay. Um, prospect. Where are you from? Nowhere. How poetic. <laughs> the Queen's Lair. Where is it? Drop it! Well, this is something I have never seen. In all my time in the green. A little girl. Uh, so this is a 2018 sci-fi film starring Pedro Pascal, uh, Sophie Thatcher, and Jay Duplass. Uh, I've actually wanted to see this for a while. I saw a trailer a couple of years ago. It looked really uh, intriguing. And it, it just most recently came to Netflix this month, uh, just uh, about a week ago. Um, so I was really excited to see it. The plot is... Um, Sophie Thatcher and her father, uh, played by Jay Duplass, are a father-daughter mining duo. Uh, this is very much like a gritty kind of Wild West uh, gold rush of in space. Um, we were on these really tiny ships, uh, th- this father-daughter um, couple kind of crash land on this moon it's very dangerous they have these big uh suits and helmets and you can't breathe the air and they got to make sure their filters are running and so like the the movie does a great job of really bringing you in this atmosphere but they are essentially prospectors mining on kind of the far reaches uh, of space and and kind of it's a lawless land everyone's on, on their own there aren't you know, police and government and all that. So it's kind of every man for himself. And so they're on this rock that they, they need to harvest or prospect uh, these gems, uh, pay off some debt and kind of get their life, their life back on track. But of course things don't go quite as well as planned. Um, so that's the movie. I really dug this. I, I really like the look and it's very minimalistic. It, it does a good job of creating a sci-fi world of, without a, a ton of special effects. Everything looks like I said, very gritty. <laughs> Their spaceship looks like it's just held together with duct tape and, and gum. Um, so I, I really liked it. Um, Zach, what'd you think? Um, so I think prospect is a brilliant example of like dynamic world design and how you can take a limited budget and use clever filmmaking techniques and, and very simple prop work to create something that feels immersive regardless. Um, it has a really solid script, fantastic character dialogue, um, many opportunities for Pedro Pascal to really shine in this film. He's kind of our, he's not our star, but he's essentially our headliner. He would be the first name on the poster. Um, and, and some really fantastic set design and prop work in what is a, a very low budget feature. I mean, this is, this almost feels like a student film. Like it, it is so cheaply made, but it's so well done. Clever, clever lens usage, clever, clever lighting, very clever, like shots of prop work to make it feel immersive. And you slam that all together with a really solid script and you have a pretty solid feature on very little money with very few actors <laughs> and it works and it's gripping and engaging and engrossing. And I'm so mad more people didn't see this movie in 2018. We didn't see it in 2018. It's actually pretty good. Um, so that that's prospect. Let's jump into it. 
Yeah, so uh, let's start a little bit with with our our plot. We we meet our main characters, father father daughter uh, C, played by Sophie Thatcher, and Damon, played by uh, Jay Duplass. They have the, a kind of rocky relationship. He's not very nice uh, to his daughter. He's she's very much kind of a, a servant almost on on this expedition. Um, they're rent they're renting. They're like on a lease on this this tiny pod. Uh, ship that, like I said, it's so small and looks really rickety. It, it, it's how I would imagine how an actual space flight might look like if if it was like you know available to blue collar <laughs> workers. Um, they are on this very dangerous planet with very dangerous people, and they're all trying to harvest these uh, these gems. And the harvesting itself is very dangerous. It's it's like part of a some some sort of like organic almost like an alien that that they're they're bringing these gems out of and they yeah. have to be very careful every single step because the like something can explode or like there's acid and it'll melt melt the gem if you if you don't do it right so you have to really be an expert in what you're doing it's very dangerous and again we're kind of in the far reaches of space there are no hospitals there are no police there's if you get hurt you're kind of on on your own yeah, this this kind of this green moon they're landing on to harvest these gems that 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 are fetching like incredibly high prices back on their homeworld. Um, it's very lawless. It's exactly what it is. I, and th- this movie is fundamentally a space western, right? And so you think of it exactly like a western. These people are essentially going to mine gold in Native American lands. You're going to a place you shouldn't be to <laughs> try to find your fame and fortune and get out without getting murdered. That's the idea. And there's no there's no police down there. There's nobody to help you. You're entirely on your own. And this father-daughter... Um, you know, go down there for their own means to try to try to escape debt and buy themselves back into a, a lifestyle they used to have. Um, and, and things, unfortunately, start to go wrong for them. Uh, and that's where we end up meeting Pedro Pascal, uh, who plays a character whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Ezra. <laughs> yeah, Ezra uh, and, and his compatriot who are... Uh, you know, maybe a little anxious to take to take what they've prospected for their own, right? To 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 steal their their fortune that they've found for themselves, and that's where we find our kind of initial conflict. Um, and that's that's where the film starts to develop into something larger. Uh, Sophie, I didn't catch her name. See, <laughs> she's basically an unknown. I don't think I've seen her in anything before. Uh, her father, J. Duplass, you might have seen in some indie films. He is director himself. Uh, Pedro Pascal, of course, is our main guy and our other compatriot. We never even see. Don't even get a look at his face. He's wearing a helmet the whole time. But it's such a great. It's It's such a brilliant. Yeah. And it's such a brilliant first act. It's it's very simple. The entire thing takes place basically in the woods or in this little pod ship they're in or some very brief shots of CGI like outside the spacecraft. That's it. Otherwise, it's like two settings, forest and spacecraft. Very cheap. Very well done. It, it, it's homemade props. This looks like the stuff they built by themselves. Like, um, and the spacesuits are all really unique and engaging. And and everything's got this le- level of grit and grime to it, almost like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Everything looks a little dirty. Everything looks a little like it's been used and cheap. And that makes the world feel lived in because it feels like these things are not brand new shiny spacesuits. Like these things are old. Everybody's sweaty and dirty. <laughs> And it, it gives this kind of old West vibe while also feeling like an alternate alternate dystopian future. It's fantastic. Well, right. And like the suits look like actual kind of what you would imagine a hazmat suit in space to look like. And, and 
our our characters are very smart about them. It's not like in Alien uh, or Alien Covenant or in Prometheus where they're like, oh, let's we're on an alien world. Let's take our helmets off because it's breathable air. It's like, no, they cannot take off their their helmets at all. They they have to use manual filters. They have to swap out their filters. Um, it, it looks. V- again very gritty very realistic really pulls you into the world and you also get these kind of wild west uh standoffs where everyone's out and got their guns drawn and you you got to try to negotiate your way out of the the situation and this is where pedro pascal is really great great as a negotiator because he's talking a mile a minute he's throwing out tons of lines trying to you know calm situations get in into situations out of situations really great character yeah, he's essentially our charming rogue, almost like our Han Solo kind of character. Uh, he and this girl end up teaming up, um, essentially, through one means or another in our second act. And the two of them have these great opportunities to kind of bounce off each other. She's very quiet and meek and obviously scared. She's in a place she should not be, and she knows that. And she's with this guy she doesn't really know that well. Um, whereas he seems like he's almost always in control. Um, but he, he, he's weak. He's, he's been injured at that point in the film. And so they both kind of have to rely on each other, um, both intellectually and also physically, uh, his air filter is broken. So they have to literally have a tube of air between the two of them. So they're physically tied to each other. Um, and that makes for some really interesting kind of action through our act two, as the two of them are kind of journeying deeper into this world to try to find a way to, um, you know, meet, meet their goals. I should say, I don't, I don't want to say too much about what exactly is going on. I think the mystery is a big part of it, but mm-hmm. um, man, you get some really, really fantastic acting, really fantastic dialogue. Uh, Pascal's character is so well-written. Ezra is, is such an interesting individual and being this kind of this, this, this puckish kind of individual, um, but also with a bit of mystery, he, he kind of has to hold the film up next to this child actress and he does fantastic. And she pulls it in. She's great at emoting. I love the, I love the looks on her face. Like she, it's good. It holds up great. And again, low budget, but just clever filmmaking, like just just really, really smart use of the space you have um, to tell a good story. Right. It's it's nothing like, you know, something like Star Trek or, or even Star Wars with elaborate uh, spaceships and sets like that. I mean, it's really it's really clever because the only thing that makes it sci fi are the suits. And then they just tell you and they, they kind of put this haze over the when you're outside, um, you know, everything looks hazy because the atmosphere is, is is toxic. But really, it's the suits are the only thing that make it look sci fi and kind of how the actors act in, in these situations where they know like uh, the filters are a big deal, the air, the, you know, making sure everything's clean, they, you can't take take off your helmet. Um, it, it's really cool and, and really menacing. Yeah, and and the prop work on top of the suits is also worth mentioning, um, and also the way these things are described. The, the film takes takes a lot of effort in establishing like a, a vibrant world through its script. Um, how they refer to things feels futuristic and dystopian, right? Guns are not called firearms; they're called throwers. Um, the ship that will end up getting you back to your home world, the kind of shuttle, is not called a shuttle; it's called a slingback because that will sling you back to where you needed to go. Um, there's a lot of clever terms and terminology in here to really flesh out this world in the dialogue and it's effective. It's a little confusing. There were a couple times, especially in the first act. I mean, they're, they're hitting it with you hard and fast and it's a little all over the place to try to figure out where they're going. But by act two, where it really starts to pick up where it's like, okay, we're on the ground. Things are happening. We've, we've worked through that exposition. It really gives you an opportunity to get into some pulpy, um, pulpy dialogue. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I, I was going to mention the, uh, uh, the one thing I, w- I would recommend is definitely 
watch this with the subtitles on because they they speak through their helmets and and through their comms 90% of the time and so uh there's a lot you, you might miss also that that's actually another part of what creates tension is that uh th- they use uh, radio communications to to talk with each other like walkie-talkie and so you know, there, there's a whole thing of like, what channel are you on? What channel are the bad guys on? Or, you know, t- turn your radio off. So it, it yeah. creates kind of another layer, just kind of like the, the breathable, non-breathable atmosphere. It creates another layer of tension. Yeah. In, in the first act, when when Ezra and his compatriot uh, hop and, happen along, our father and daughter, the daughter's actually off kind of doing her own thing. And she hears them on the radio. She hears their conversation. So she's able to listen in and eavesdrop from a safe distance without getting directly involved in what's happening and therefore plan accordingly and shift and move around that. And as the show, as the film starts to introduce a few more characters, um, that comes into play. This idea of communication and radio and how we're communicating with each other is very important. And it creates for good tension, right? It stretches that rubber band in the plot and just holds it tight there for the audience. And we never quite know when it's going to snap until it's too late. Um, and it's effective. It, it works great. And it keeps you invested in what's happening. Uh, the film's not too long. Uh, what are we looking at? Hour 48, hour 43 or something? Hour 40, yeah. Yeah, very very tight. Um, it, I think it is based off a short film originally. Um, and I think it shows. Like, it's a clever idea. It's well made. I, I think the cinematography on it's really well done. Um, a lot of good world building here. I, I, wish, I wish more people had seen it. But before we get too far away from it, what in this doesn't work? Right, <laughs> this is not a perfect film. Um, uh, what, what did you not? Like? I mean, the, the main thing, like I said, it, it is a little bit difficult to hear and understand people. I, I think I got five minutes into it and, and said, "Okay, I'm going to turn on the, the subtitles just to make sure I, I catch everything." Yeah, um, and that that is re- really helpful, especially just to kind of keep track of who who's who. Um, I mean, the majority of this film works for me. Um, I think there was just great tension from beginning to end, uh, you know, the, the, from the spaceship being really rickety to their comms to their, you know, the, the, what's happened with their filters and then like what their ultimate goals are. Um, and just trying to, you know, they're on a dangerous world, uh, with no, again, no government, no laws, no police. It's just like everyone, every man for himself. Yeah. I think, um, I think it felt a little for 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 the limited sets and ability they had. Most of this film is taking place in the woods. Um, I, I wish it had felt a little bit more dynamic. I, I think it does start to sag a little in the middle for me. Um, and also the opening is a lot of exhibitions hitting with you fast. Our, our, our young actress, she's very good, um, but there's definitely a few line deliveries I wish she'd had another swing at. Um, ultimately, I, I'd love to know more about their production schedule because it feels like it was shot. I mean, in like in like two or three weeks. I mean, it feels like a very efficient movie. It feels like whoever was producing this like really had okay. Here's our set schedule. Here's here's our shooting schedule. We had everything worked out to make this thing, um, and it feels effective. But I, it it somehow comes off feeling like a like a short film that runs a little too long for me. I don't know if you could have cut ten minutes somewhere or what. But overall, I, I think it's so much better than the sum of its parts. It's 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 a really tremendous film. Um, yeah, I wish more people had talked about it. So, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Prospect? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, smart sci-fi film. Uh, lots of tension, really gritty, really pulls you in into the world. And it's kind of one of these uh, explorations of human nature, you know, at, at its most raw. It reminds me of something uh, maybe like The Road uh, as well. It's like, how, how do people act when there are no laws, when there are no other agents to kind of keep people in line? 
but I, I really enjoyed it. It's not, not too long. Uh, it's available on Netflix now. Yes. Uh, I, I enjoyed it as well. I think I'd recommend it too. I, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. I'm not going to say, Oh my God, drop what you're doing. Go out and see this movie. But if you're a Pedro Pascal fan, or you like the Mandalorian, I'd say check this out. Um, it is a fantastic character, uh, um, um, kind of kind of showcase for him of what he can do he's really tremendous in it um i'd love to see what this director does next it's directed by who is this oh two people christopher caldwell and zeke earl i think they they originally wrote and um, created the short the short film from it originally uh they're tremendous i want to see what they do next i i it's it's good stuff it's really good stuff it reminds me of like an early I don't know. It reminded me of Annihilation, right? Wandering around yeah. the woods or, e- or even something like Stranger Things, like taking basically going and shooting in the woods, but throwing this big filter over it in post to make it look like foreign and interesting. And there's great prop work in it. Like it's a really smart little feature. If you're looking for sci-fi, if you love that and you haven't seen this movie, I'd really encourage you to check it out. Prospect is something else. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good little movie. That's what I think. So that's prospect. And with that, we should move on to our middle segment. I'm going to be taking the reins on this one. But Andy, while I'm moving things around on the stream here, can you give me a uh, give me a headline, please? This is the death of cinema. And our uh, this is we're going to be talking about an, an article entitled "John Boyega says studios must protect their POC people of color actors from online abuse." Um, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, so this came out last Wednesday, and it, was, it would have been right after we would have done a show last week had we done one. And I, I thought, okay, we should we should maybe talk about this because this is interesting. Uh, for anybody who's not up to date on John Boyega, John Boyega is this is one of the stars, I should say, of Disney's most recent Star Wars trilogy, right? Episodes seven, eight, and nine. He is Finn. He is he is our black protagonist in those films, uh, and he has faced some. I almost want to say some harassment online isn't saying enough. He's definitely faced some big harassment from the Star Wars community <laughs> and the broader broader online community um, for, for appearing in these films, his role in these movies, Finn's role in these movies as a character. Uh, he has caught a lot of heat on Instagram, on Twitter from that. And that, I think, has escalated as the films went on and then even more so. Uh, Boyega is a young actor. He's very vibrant and he is outspoken about his beliefs, especially regarding things like the Black Lives Matter movement. So you get some good old-fashioned Star Wars hate about just the trilogy proper and where Disney's gone with it. Tack it on top of some old-fashioned internet racism and throw in a dash of Black Lives Matter protests amidst a pandemic and you get an actor who is regularly harassed. Um, and John Boyega takes his stuff on the chin. Um, you know, there, there, there's been a- actors and actresses of color who have received harassment online and have voiced their opinion about it in different ways. But he's he's been pretty pretty ardent about I don't care what you think. This is how I feel, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go go ahead anyway. And and I think that's worth celebrating. But what's interesting about this is Boye- Boyega is going on record and saying, Hey, I think studios should take some of the heat here. I think studios should get out in front of this, anticipate it, and pivot with it accordingly. And that's what I think is so interesting. At first, it sounds like, okay, studios should, I I don't know, figure out a way to to, to curb that harassment. But it's quite the opposite. He says, I don't think Disney should be responsible for the people who are harassing me. That's them. That's their own opinions, right? Those people are terrible, and that's going to be them. But what Disney should do, especially with actors in the future, actors who are incredibly prominent in your story, they should basically come along as a large shadow and say, hey, we're standing by them. We don't care what you think. Like, w- these, this is our guy. We believe in them. And he said when, when he played Finn, 
in a lot of ways, Disney announced it. They were excited about it. But when he was catching heat online, they were silent. Because they're not going to tell their fans, hey, you're wrong. We're right. Like, they're not going to do that. And and that was something he was saying, hey, maybe this is worth studios looking at. Maybe it's worth you championing these people instead of just announcing them and then saying nothing because you're too afraid of fan backlash, right? What do you think of that? Yeah, so... Uh there, there's a, and there was a lot of backlash and, and literally kind of every minor, main minority character received huge back, backlash. D- Daisy Ridley, um, she's not on social media because of the backlash. Kelly Marie Tran as well. Like people absolutely hated the, especially her character. Um, but yeah, it, and it's, it's, um, and the, the problem is, is the, uh, like he says, the lack of support. Cause not only did Disney not do anything, it seemed like Disney reacted and, and vindicated their fans by, uh, sidelining these characters. It's like, Oh, people don't like the black character. Let's, let's sideline. Oh, people don't like the, uh, the, the new Asian girl. Let's, let's bring her out of the film. And, and I think Car- the, that's combined with people just not liking the story. The fact that Finn w- looked like he was going to be the main character in the new saga. And then it was kind of a bait and switch. And it was, Oh, it's actually Daisy Ridley's character, Ray, who's going to be the main but either way disney is is that you know they they're they are attempting to have diversity in their films and then they're backing away and not defending their choices uh when it comes to internet backlash and then they're actually kind of doing the opposite they're like well let, let's sideline these characters that people don't don't like because there's so much backlash instead of looking at this and say hey this is really just like racism and hatred for no reason and when we shouldn't bow to that yeah, and that's kind of what's so bad about this. I wanted to look up the name of the uh, guy who played Cyborg in the Justice League film, because I think he's worth mentioning here. Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher. Perfect. Uh, so we've got... <laughs> nice. You got, got that on lock. I should have had that. <laughs> should have had that in my back pocket for the story. So we've got John Boyega, who plays Finn, right? A black character in, in, in Star Wars. We have Kelly Marie Tran, who plays our... Um, Rose in, in 7 and 8. 8 and 9, she wasn't in 7, right? Uh, and we have Ray Fisher over on Justice League. He played Cyborg in Warner Brothers Justice League. We'll get to him in a minute, but let's talk about John Boyega and, and Kelly Marie Tran first. Yeah, these these two caught incredible heat. And what's so disappointing about this is a couple of things. One, Disney did not plan out their arcs for 7, 8, and 9. And they should have. Because they advertised Force Awakens. I, man, that first trailer had John Boyega holding a freaking lightsaber. He's a black man holding a lightsaber in a Star Wars film. Like, that was huge. And not only is that a bit of a fugazi in episode seven, but it never, he his character never reaches those heights again in eight and nine. Especially, I mean, they never even played on this idea that he was a former stormtrooper and now he isn't. Like, there's so much room for character development and his character basically gets diluted down to a kind of love interest for Rey that doesn't really pan out. Um... And that's incredibly disappointing because he's he's dynamic and vibrant. I mean, in, in episode in episode seven, he's essentially deemed the protagonist throughout that film, right up until the end when Ray kind of steals that limelight. Otherwise, like he's kind of the guy. Like the movie basically opens with him, right? Like yeah. he's he's our dude. Like he is who we follow down to the desert planet. He is he is he's our guy. He's who we're following. So that was really disappointing. Kelly Marie Tran is in a different boat. Uh, she's in episode eight. She caught so much heat on the internet for what people said was her ruining the film, which was complete farce. Um, she 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 ended up ki- kicking off social media all, entirely. She doesn't even do it anymore. Now, she's in episode nine, barely. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, like I'm, completely I'm honestly sidelined. surprised they even bothered to keep her in the edit. They cut her they cut her part down so much. It's 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 disappointing. And I'm not I'm not saying that's her fault. That's on Disney. 
they, they've since uh, she, she she's going to be work, doing more work with Disney. She's the voice of Raya and Raya and the Last Dragon, their new animated p- feature um, from the studio that Tangled and Frozen. So that's exciting. They've got more work for her. But that's not exactly a solution, right? That's kind of a band-aid on a bigger problem. And that's what Boyega is getting at. That like, hey, <laughs> you guys did not help us at all. Like you announced us, you you caught praise from from part of the community and you caught a lot of heat from the others and then you did nothing. And and we we performed these movies, we put our hearts into it, we we did our best. And and where did it get us? Like our characters got sidelined and we got ruined on social media. So like how is that a benefit, right? Being in Star Wars should be tremendous. This should be celebrated. But this didn't do anything for us. I'll get yeah. to Ray Fisher in a minute, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's uh, actually largely hurt their careers being in in Star Wars, and yeah. they've ha- they've kind of you know they've done well and recovered in spite of it. But it, it, yeah, it hasn't been the positive experience it it should have been. And like I said. I think the big one of the biggest problems is that Disney is rewarding bad behavior. They're telling the, if you scream loud enough and throw a big enough tantrum, we're going to change our film instead of saying, no, let let's create an artistic vision and stick to that, and people will deal with it, and they will because it's Star Wars. Or like as much as people want to hate Star Wars, they still will go see it. So no matter what you do, so if if they will still go see it, you could just do the right thing. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to grandstand and say. Disney basically removing Kelly Marie Tran and sidelining uh, John Boyega in episode nine was listening to their fans. I don't think that's what it was. I, I, I truly, I mean, maybe, maybe it was, but I, I truly believe it's that they didn't have a plan and they didn't know where they were going. And they hired JJ Abrams back to try to fix what they thought was broken in episode eight from, from director Ryan Johnson. And, and he sidelined him because he didn't know what to do with him. Like it was basically panic. And I think it was very poor handling. I don't, I, I like to believe it wasn't intentionally like racist abuse and listening, listening to, to the worst fans online, but to those fans, it came off as vindication. Oh, good. We complained enough about Kelly Marie Tran. She's off Instagram and she's not in, in episode nine, hardly at all. So great. It feels like they won. And this is where I think Ray Fisher is worth mentioning, right? He plays Cyborg in Justice League. He's Zack Snyder's guy. He's Zack Snyder's pick. Zack Snyder exits the film for family reasons. Joss Whedon comes in and suddenly almost all of Cyborg's origin story is cut from uh, Justice League, which we're getting more of in in Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. This four-hour version is coming to HBO Max soon. Um, but almost all of this stuff they'd shot is gone. A lot of his character development is gone. He, he's relegated to reshoots to parts that are smaller. He holds a lot of that against Warner Brothers and Joss Whedon specifically. That's worth mentioning. And he's been much more vocal about this abuse. Now, he is getting more action in the Zack Snyder kind of version that's coming out, the four-hour cut. Uh, and apparently a lot of his original stuff is going to be kind of returned back to what it is. But, you know, he's very vocal against the studio that, I mean, essentially gave him his first breakout role here. This was supposed to be like his big thing. And, and he's like filed a lawsuit, I think, formally against them. Boyega is not doing that. And, and Kelly Marie Tran isn't doing that. But what they are saying is, hey, <laughs> like you got to back us up. Like when you're when you're casting a, 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 an actor or actress of color in a big feature like this, you need to understand what all that comes with. All right. You can't just get the paycheck and move on like you have to defend us and you have to champion us as a reflection of who you are as a studio. If you're not doing that, then what are you really doing? You know, what are you really saying to people? Because really what it seems like you're doing is you're just listening to the worst people on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you're you're attempting to be diverse and be inclusive, and then you're you're getting scared at the first sign of resistance. 
Right. So what does this mean? Does this mean Disney should be getting in the comments, right? Every time John Boyega makes a video and, and, and saying, hey, we agree with him, by the way. Everybody shut up. We'll start swinging the band hammer. <laughs> no, of course not. But maybe it means putting a little bit more advertising dollars into your, you know, actors and actresses of color. I don't, I don't know if that means you got to print their faces on more stuff or what, but just just have more confidence in your marketing and have more confidence to say, hey, um, we're not going to pander to the worst people you know, in, in our, in our fandom, if, if that's how you feel, go find another movie. Like, that's not what we're doing here, you know, but they don't, they, they don't, they won't do that because they know it might affect their ad dollars. That might make them come seem, that might, might make the house of mouse seem like it's, you know, big and scary. And, and they don't want that. They want to seem like a family company. And I can understand that, but like <laughs> star Wars doesn't have to be a family feature. None of these do. None of these have to be family friendly ideologies. These can be profound films and you can have profound casting, but you need to have a profound ideology and a profound worldview to make that happen. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's my bit. That's my bit about John Boyega saying studios must protect the, the people, their, 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 Persons of colors from online abuse. Uh, with that, we should move on to our final review. I'm going to be taking the reins in this one, so excuse the clumsiness. The movie is Greener Grass. Wait a second. Wrong husband. What's he doing? Lisa, you kiss like your friend. She's so cute. Lisa, do you want her? Are you sure? Take her. She's yours now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Enjoy. possible for me to get the baby I gave you back. I don't know, Jill. It doesn't hurt to ask, right? It did hurt. I didn't like it. So Greener Grass is a suburban satire. You're going to want to think of something like uh, the Stepford Wives or um, Vivarium, which we watched recently on Amazon Prime. Uh, this is the story of Jill, a, a disaffected uh, suburban soccer mom housewife, and Lisa, another neighborly disaffected suburban soccer mom housewife, who are just trying to get by in their pleasant little <laughs> color-blocked community. Uh, they both have husbands, uh, they both have children, but they're looking to grow, and, and uh, one day at a soccer game, uh, Lisa very candidly says to Jill, hey, Jill, I, I love your baby they're so cute and jill says well do you want it you can have it and just hands the baby over (laughs) and that's kind of the start of our film and that's (laughs) that's the beginning of the weirdness um greener grass handles its satire very visually and very viscerally uh it is a very saturated film it is lots of bright colors and and the contrast cranked way down so it comes off super bright it's very sunny and light and it's also in its script very dark, <laughs> very, very yeah. biting. And, and, and there's a lot of like body horror and, and extreme orchestral stings and the soundtrack and, and horrifying dialogue. It's all cut with these very bright white smiles. If, if you're watching the review uh, online on Facebook here, we're running the trailer and you can see a couple of quotes that I think fit it perfectly. It's like if Wes Anderson directed an episode of Black Mirror or like if David Lynch directed an episode of Desperate Housewives or something. It's, it's, it is the oddest little feature from 2019. And, and originally I saw a trailer for it at the Texas theater, an indie theater in town that runs a lot of indie films. Andy and I actually both saw that trailer when we went and saw something. And I thought that looks way too weird. I'm not into that. And then we saw it on Hulu and we needed something else to watch after prospect. And I thought, you know, let's try this. And so I convinced Andy to give it a shot. 
And it turns out we've got mixed results, but I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of Greener Grass? Oh my God, you're not on the stream. <laughs> Where did you go? When did you cut out? When did that happen? Okay, hold on. Let me find Andy. What happened to him? Uh, you know, I, I guess I'll just talk about what I think, and and we'll talk about um, I'll talk about Andy's opinion when he gets back in here. Whenever that happens. So, Greener Grass is a essentially improv comedy product. Uh, it's directed, written, and stars. Uh, it's two directors, uh, Jocelyn DeBecky and what, what, what is her name? Let's see. Jocelyn, De, Jocelyn DeBoyer and Don Lebby, I think is how you say those. Uh, they are directors, writers, and stars. The two of them are improv comedians. They've been in a comedy troupe together for a little over a decade. A couple years ago, they made a short film called Greener Grass that kind of played on this idea, and then they grew it since. Uh, it is a, like I said, suburban satire. <laughs> the idea is Andy Beck in here yet? Oh, I'm sweating bullets over here. Where did he go? It's a suburban satire uh, looking at, you know, living life in Americana uh, in the harshest of ways. Everything in, in Greener Grass is a harsh color. <laughs> everything. And everything is themed around color, right? One family will be wearing all blue. Everything is blue. Blue stripes, blue polka dots, all blue. All shades of blue. Another family will wear all pink. Everything's pink. What? Pink stripes, pink polka dots, pink scarf, pink flannel. Everything's pink. And everything is color blocked accordingly, right? Every family has their colors. Those colors may alternate from day to day. One family may wear pink and then the next day wear blue or green or orange. Um, <laughs> all the desks are the same color. Everything, everything has this color motif to it that's really important to what this, this, this film is doing visually. There's an element of cohesiveness to it, right? Everything is the same color in suburbia. Every, everybody's trying to meet the same standard. And, and, and Greener Grass holds this to the letter. Everybody's trying to one-up each other, right? Suburban Housewife A is trying to, to one-up Suburban Housewife B. Well, my son did better in the soccer game. Well, my, my son did better in at, at the musical recital. My son is in this accelerated math program. Well, my son is the... And this is constant, and everybody does it with these horrifying smiles on their faces, <laughs> like, like plastic mannequins or something. And it never stops. It never lets up greener grass and i really respect what it's doing now let's see if andy's back in here yet nothing man where did he go did he message me should i stop the, should i stop the review that's the question to ask is is this where i hit the brakes or do we keep going because i don't know if i can do this whole thing by myself he said i'm here i'm waiting to get in what does that mean there he is i see him Andy, welcome back to the show. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, I've been here for several minutes. Uh, you have not, I promise. I've been checking for several minutes. You just showed up. But, uh, welcome back to the show. I was just reviewing Greener Grass. I was just talking about the color blocking and uh, how how important it is to say what this film is doing visually because it's um, it's kind of it's kind of a huge aspect of what's happening. It's really hard not to pay attention to. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a walking nightmare. Like everything is so bright like it hurts your eyes because it's these super bright pinks and blues and oranges and everything is super bright outside and everything looks a little hazy <clears throat> and it sounds it sounds like the 80s that's the, fun, the funny thing it has this very uh remind me of things actually like nightmare on elm street kind of or uh breakfast club and also with more modern things like um donnie darko it's got that haze over the, the whole thing and it's it just it's an assault kind of on the senses and it has this very 80s soundtrack and and like you were saying 
saying everyone is trying to be perfect everyone's trying to one-up each other you know there's there's one fan one mom is upset that uh her kid isn't in rocket math but the other mom's kid is in rocket math and they should be you know um so but all all these kind of suburban tropes are are just like kind of personified in reality like there's there's a part where one one child turns into a dog for no reason but this like it represents like kind of transitional phases that that children right. have jill, jill just gives lisa her baby at the beginning of the film like there's there's some really surreal elements of, of plot design in here like jill's son turning into a dog um halfway through the film that is never addressed or or resolved it's it's sur- surrealism is kind of the banner this film is running under um, to expound more on your 80s thing, that's worth mentioning. This film looks like it's set in some kind of alternate version of the future where the 80s just kind of stuck around. And maybe you get a little bit of 90s, you get some of that like floral wallpaper in the background, and you get some kind of costume design that looks like this is something people would wear in the 80s and 90s. But um, there's definitely modern references to reality, things like presidential elections or Moby. So it's definitely supposed to be this kind of alternate future. Everybody drives around golf carts. There's no cars in the film. It's all golf carts. And all the golf carts are themed, which is great. Um, and all of these housewives and all these husbands, like, they're, they're not exactly having incestuous relationships, but they're all... Nobody goes to work in the world of greener grass. Nobody has, nobody has a job in greener grass. Everybody is all about appearance. I have to be keeping up with the Joneses at all times with a, like, plastic grin always. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very voyeuristic film that way. We just kind of get to see these characters in this little world they inhabit bounce off of each other in the worst ways because nobody actually is getting better in the world of greener grass. Nobody actually is moving up in society. They're all pretty much stagnant, but they seem to rob happiness from each other, right? You tell you, you say my son did better in soccer or my son's in AP math. You, you say, I'm, I, I just had a baby. Well, good news, I'm pregnant, right? Like there, there's this constant run of outdoing one another and there's very little normalcy in the world of greener grass and it's it's very engrossing you really fall into what this movie's doing or you don't like i I think that's the way this goes you're either really into what greener grass is doing or you're not and i think that's all the stuff we have to say before we talk about (laughs) like the characters and (laughs) the plot i just it's it's a whack film um but i'm excited to talk more about it so let's talk about our characters I, sure, said sure, the, sure. I said at the top, uh, our, our two leads are our writers, directors, and stars, uh, Jill and Lisa in the film, played by Jocelyn and Dawn. Uh, they are improv actors, and that's why they get their start. Their husbands, I think, are really only other two kind of notable actors in this movie. Uh, Jill's husband, Jill is kind of our main character in the film, really. Uh, her husband is played by Beck Bennett uh, from SNL. He's actually currently still on SNL, has been on the last few seasons. Um, and then Dawn's husband is a guy named Neil Casey, who's been in some stuff and I can't really identify what. Other than that, all independent actors. So these are people they've obviously shared some time with doing improv. They, I think they appeared in the original short film a couple years ago before they really turned this into a larger feature. Uh, and it's got this almost SNL kind of quality to it, right? It's not quite improv comedy, but it's just wacky enough that it feels like it could be a series of Saturday Night Live bits, like like the Californians or something, which is an actual SNL bit. It's it's just it's it's just got this purview of the world that I think comes from improv comedy. It's very strange. Yeah, we are well, and what's interesting is so we have our kind of main character Lisa, and 
um her 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 what's her friend's name in the film um John? no no jill? Li- Li- jill is our main Can character played by jocelyn deboer yes. and and lisa's her friend and uh Jill seems to be the life that everyone is is envying. Like she has uh, kind of this per- per- perfect house and perfect family and perfect attractive there's a re- husband. Yeah, yeah there's there, there's this really funny um, kind of weird situation that happens at, at the beginning of the film where they're they're with their the why the two the the two couples are kind of at a party and then they start making out with like the wrong spouse. And they're like, oh gosh, accidentally. And, it, and it's these really weird, sloppy, gross. It's uh, like 25 kissing. seconds of hard close up kissing. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, oh, I made out with, uh, you know, I'm kissing the wrong spouse. Whoops. And then they kind of switch back. And then, you know, it, it, it's really, it's a weird, bizarre, surrealist thing. But it, it it's what, well, at least that part to me was kind of about how there's a lot of like suburban envy in in other people's relationships a lot of times. And that's kind of personified it in a really weird way. Um, all that to say that Jill is like the life everyone's uh, envying, but then Jill isn't happy with kind of her own life. She's, she's still like struggles to like, she wants to be accepted by the larger community. She's a people pleaser. You know, you know, she's, she's always still trying to do better. Right. It's, it's a bit of a, a book of Job story, right? Jill's life is seemingly perfect. Um, and slowly over the course of the film, it starts to get worse. Things things start going wrong for her, and all of her other friends are successful in spite of that. They they are continuing to succeed and continuing to rise, and she is just having this tumble down. And you get a lot of really wonderful moments with uh, Jocelyn DeBoyer, De, De uh, who I've never seen in anything before this, um, of just kind of this like raw emotion where she's trying, she's trying to be nice and trying to hold it together, but she looks like she's just going to break underneath. And like, it's really effective. She's very good for, for being somebody I haven't seen on screen at all. Um, she, she's fantastic. And, and, and Lisa her friend and the other director, uh, is, is very plastic and very cold and, and plays this kind of almost like a young Alice and Janie character. Um, who's very disaffected by what's happening. And and the two of them have created this world that is just so, like, bogus. It, 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 somebody in a review I saw, they, they said it, it almost plays like a, like a, like, like a, like a mini, like a mini golf course, except if there were people living in the mini golf course and, and acting yeah. like <laughs> this life was normal, like in this, this fantastical world, all their houses are doll houses. One, Jill's, Jill's son turns into a dog halfway through the movie, golden retriever. Um, something worth mentioning that I haven't brought up. Everybody in this film wears braces. All the adults do. I don't think. Yeah. All the adults do. do. All the adults and- have braces and, 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 <laughs> That never lets up. In the weird kissing scene, they're wearing braces. And and towards the end of the film, the braces are kind of a, a larger part of character development. But they're all trying to become better and be better in this, in this artificial world. They're, they're using artifice to better themselves. I realize I'm going too far into the bold cinema stuff, so I should probably back off. But let's talk about a, li- a little bit about our plot, because I don't want to give a whole lot away. I think the less you know, the better. But like I said at the top, uh, it opens well, with Jill just... Well, go ahead. So we're we're kind of hit, hitting on a number of of suburban tropes, you know, um, trouble with the kids, uh, the puberty, uh, trouble at school, uh, sport sports, or you know, development of that, uh, you know, kind of lust between uh, couples, keeping up with the Joneses, and we the, the film does a good job of kind of touching on, on different well known and well recognized 
um, just tropes from, from suburbia and, and it's kind of commentary and satire and just kind of pointing out the ridiculousness of this and how these people just kind of continue to make themselves unhappy. Right. And that never lets up. Um, it's, it's very persistent. And, and the thing I think I like the most about greener grass is in this phenomenally distant world where everything's kind of normal, but the saturation's turned up and there's all these bright, vibrant colors and everybody's trying to be this perfect, perfect personified version of themselves. Um, everybody plays it straight. There's never, there's never like a laugh on screen. Everybody is 110% serious in the role and it works great because it, <laughs> it, it just kind of comes off as like, this horrifying representation of reality that's like painful to watch. Like you said, it's like a visual nightmare, but it's fascinating. And I couldn't look away. I, I was so interested. If, you, if you're watching the trailer on the stream, you can see it. But when I Googled greener grass after the film, after I watched it, one of the first thing that comes up in, the, in Google's autofill results, I think it was the first hit is, is greener grass scary? That's what people want to know that have seen this trailer. Is this a scary film? It's produced by IFC midnight. They traditionally make horror films what is happening in this movie? And I don't think it is a horror film, right? I would say this is a black comedy yeah. um, with a whole lot of color. Um, but it is frightening in a weird way. There's this odd part of my brain that was just kind of off while I was watching this movie and felt creeped out and felt weird. And it never really lets up. And I don't know if it all comes together for a particularly satisfying conclusion at the end of the film. Um, but it's very persistent. And by the time I got to the end of this movie, I felt really baffled. <laughs> That's how I felt, but I was tuned in the whole time, man. I never got my phone out once. I, I was, I was really into what was happening. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention, there's also this kind of plot device of a, uh, there's like some sort of killer on, on the loose or there, there's, there's been like a tragedy or a murder in the community. And so that's, uh, you know, something that's, that's really affecting everyone. But, uh, this reminds me of a really great, great scene where there's uh, a candlelight vigil for, uh, the slain, person and during the vigil the 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 you know the victim's sister comes and speaks and manages to make the entire uh kind of candlelight vigil about herself like no like every time they try to to make it about like the victim she's like no no but but, but me like right uh, and it, it's and again it's it's a great scene that illustrates what the whole movie about is about the, this like suburban selfishness uh that happens in in these these real life communities yeah like people just trying to outdo each other and you're right even even at that i mean that 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 the, the, the candlelight vigil is for a character who at the film is revealed to have recently died a local yoga teacher and like for the very first conversation in the film is about this woman it's 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 these two it's it's our two characters Jill and Lisa at the soccer game watching the kids play and Lisa says hey did you hear about the local yoga studio teacher what happened and they talk about it for a second like oh my god she died that's horrible and they move right past it back into their own lives right well, what was the last time you did yoga i've always wanted to go maybe we should go take a lesson and anytime this dead character comes up it's never actually addressed on an emotional level everybody just says their piece like oh no that's terrible and then moves right back to themselves and i think that's part of what makes this film so spooky is because it's so reflective of reality right you hear about somebody dying in some horrible way and you're like oh my god that's terrible and then you move right past it. And like, that's such, yeah. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a terrible way to look at the world, but it's such a clever lens for these two improv comedians to produce and, and, and create a film in it's really sharp and it's really biting. And it's, it's, it's funny. I definitely got some laughs out of it. Um, 
it's such an interesting movie and I'm so glad we got to watch it for this show. Cause I don't think it, it this also did not make a lot of money like prospect. It kind of came out and nobody saw it, but it's available on Hulu. It's tremendous. Andy, any other thoughts, any other thoughts for recommendations? I, I think the only thing that doesn't work is that you, you have all these kind of small vignettes of suburban life and satire and, and kind of social surrealism and comedy about uh, these different tropes, uh, but it never kind of amounts to a greater kind of thesis or, or, or a theme by the end of it. I mean, I think it is very funny and entertaining and it's got some really bizarre surrealist stuff, which I really love, but it kind of lacks a, a more cohesive message by the end of the film. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I, real quick, a couple things I liked that I didn't mention. No, hold on. I should, I should address that criticism first. Same boat. There is not ultimately, I felt, a particularly satisfying climactic end to this film because it all feels like it's building towards something because it just gets weirder, right? She gives her baby away. The kid turns into a dog. Uh, another another woman, another character has uh, picks up a soccer ball one day and acts like she's pregnant. And all of her friends not only immediately believe that she's like nine months pregnant with a soccer ball, but she carries the ball, quote, to term, gives birth to, quote, the soccer ball, and then takes like family photos with it. And everybody acts like it's normal. Like nobody thinks it's weird. They, 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 there's so many odd things going on in this movie and every one of them is, is really clever and played straight in the best way by these improv actors doing improv the best way they know how. I think the filmmaking is tremendous. Uh, I, it's got these Kubrickian elements that I think are really sharp. A lot of like one perspective, one take situations, which are great for improv, of course, where the camera will just slowly zoom in on a situation, then zoom back out and it'll just transition to the next scene. That's it. No cuts. No, no takeaways, no, no, no extras, just super simple stuff, really simple filmmaking that's very effective. But ultimately, it doesn't quite wrap up in a way that's satisfying. I think it's just this like hundred, what is it? Nine, it's 103 minutes or something. It's like 43 minutes long. It's a 103 minute satire film that like just kind of says its piece and then exits stage left and that's it. And you're left with, left holding the bag on it. But I still really do think it's worth a watch. So uh, recommendations? Maybe you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Greener Grass? Uh, I w- I would with some caveats. It it is a really bizarre film. Like it, it's if you're into surrealist cinema, uh, you're definitely gonna like it. If you don't know what surrealism surrealist cinema is, uh, it, it might be uh, a little much. But if you think of things like a uh, Mulholland Driver, we watch uh, Vivarium, uh, being John Malkovich might be another good example of just really bizarre things on screen, but that are kind of analogies or illustrations of, of other things. Uh, good acting by, by the by the leads. I'm anxious to see what else the, they come out with. Really kind of engaging visual. Like I said, the, the, you're just assaulted visually by by the bright colors and, and the haze. Actually, I really enjoyed the soundtrack as well, or the score. Yeah. Um, so I definitely would recommend, but it is a really bizarre film. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. I would absolutely recommend this. Um, I might recommend this to people who aren't really familiar with surrealist comedy, and say, "Hey, maybe check this movie out." And you got to go in if you if you haven't seen, if you don't really know what we mean when we say surrealist comedy. If you listen to this review and you're like, "I don't really know what they're talking about," I'd say go check it out. It's on Hulu. Um, open mind. That's that's what I would encourage you to go in with. Do not do not think this is going to make sense. Do not try to make sense of it. See everything as a metaphor, right? What is this saying about suburban life? What is this saying about parenthood? What is this saying about puberty? Like, what is this saying about um, sexual identification at one point? Like, what is this movie trying to say about the world around us? Because ultimately, that's what it's doing. This is a commentary on the world we live in. But you have to look deeper. And Greener Grass 
shows you kind of this horrifying image and and encourage entices you to look closer and i think for anybody who's willing to do it you will be rewarded with something tremendous i would love to see what these women are doing next i really enjoyed this movie much more than i thought i would i'm not really a surrealism guy this stuff is good so greener grass thumbs up i'd recommend it go for it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, i wish i had something it. more profound to say and i kind of don't I I, I I i think you should check it out i really do and with that that wraps our show for the week andy what are we watching next week next week we're watching a theatrical release i you heard that right theatrical release of a film called freaky which is a horror comedy starring uh vince vaughn and uh katherine newton uh this is kind of the it gets its title from freaky friday it's it's a body swap comedy horror uh we talked about a little bit before so that's coming out uh this week as well as we're gonna be looking at a new film by uh brandon cronenberg son of uh david cronenberg uh called possessor uh which is going to be available to rent on any rental voodoo or or youtube or any kind of rental service for about five dollars and uh do we want to talk about what this is about at all or okay here's the thing i don't really know what it's about (laughs) <laughs> but I love Cronenberg and this is his son, David Cronenberg, right? Who's originally a body horror eighties horror sci-fi director. Um, this is his son, Brandon Cronenberg. And what is one of his first real big features? And apparently he follows exactly in the footsteps of his father for like really kooky horror body horror stuff. And I'm totally into that. And I've heard a couple of ringing endorsements from film reviewers I like, and I thought we should check this out. It's an old five bucks, but I don't really know what it's about. So I, if you know a little bit, Andy, I'd appreciate a bit of a byline just for those of us who. Right. So it's about this kind of secret organization that, that commits, um, assassins by invading kind of controlling the body of another person to carry out its assassin it's an assassination possessor so, possessing someone else yes so that's that's where it gets its title that that's the that's the uh that's the premise of the film i think that's actually perfect yeah um yeah not not i'll be honest I probably shouldn't be. I should act like I'm excited about this. I'm not super excited about Freaky. It looks okay. It looks like a blue. Looks like a Bloomhouse horror, right? Like Happy Death Day. Like it'll be okay. It'll be very surface. Um, you know, it'll be a 90 minute whatever comedy horror kind of thing. Hopefully, Vince Vaughn will be good. We'll see. Maybe maybe Freaky. Yeah. Me, please. Um, it, 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 I was I was gonna say Possessor stars uh, Andrea uh, Roseboro or Riseboro, who we last saw in Mandy uh, from a yep. couple years ago. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely interested to see what she's been up to lately. So. Freaky and Possessor, that's what we're watching. I would encourage you to maybe try to watch them along with us. And if you can't, uh, definitely tune in for our review of Freaky because, my God, have I seen the advertising about that film. Um, you know, so find out if it's worth your time when it inevitably comes to streaming or if you don't want to, you know, go dance with the theater uh, like we are apt to do. I don't know when. I know we got to figure out when we're going to go see that. But we'll make it happen. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, if you liked what we're doing here, if you want to know more about Greener Grass or Prospect, if you want to tell us what you thought, you can email us, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. We read correspondence live on the air. So let us know what you thought. We will talk about it on the show and get back to you with our hot takes. You can hit us up on Facebook. It's where we live stream our show every Tuesday evening. Uh, we can... Uh, we're on YouTube as well. I don't know where I was going with that. We're on YouTube as well, uh, where we post our episodes and all of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on there on occasion, and you can find us there. And you can also check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we post episodes, we post interviews Andy's doing on local media, on national media, I should say now, right? You're all over the place. Some, yeah, I, I, it's been a while, but yeah, I, I have uh, had some national opportunities that's true. true dr draper i can't believe people still go for that anyway <laughs> <laughs> works every time are, are you 
Are you actually a doctor? I mean, did you have yes, a doctorate? P- P- yes, PhD. Okay. You formally do. All right, great. Yes, well, I'm not. I'm not. That I didn't make that. I never. I'm like. I don't actually know. I think you. Yeah, I figured you had a doctorate, like an actual yeah. degree. But yeah, okay. Uh, and you can you can you can keep up with what we're doing all over. But if you want to help the show, if there's anything you can do to 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 thank us for what we're doing here, because um, it's a thankless job. I'm kidding. You guys are all great. Uh, rate and review the show on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you're listening to it. Uh, subscribe if you can. That would also be tremendous. And maybe tell a friend, right? Tell somebody, if, if somebody says, hey man, I, I need a podcast to listen to. I need something new. Be like, hey, I, I know these guys, they're doing the show off script. It's not too shabby. We really appreciate it. You have no idea how much it helps us. And we appreciate you for listening. And you know, just 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 kids just kind of being bold cinema fans. So from all of us at Offscript, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.